Out in the Atlantic Ocean, great sheets of rain gathered to drift slowly up the river Shannon and settle forever in Limerick. The rain dampened the city from the feast of circumcision to New Year's Eve. It created a cacophony of hacking coughs, bronchial rattles, asthmatic wheezes, consumptive croaks. It turned noses into fountains, lungs into bacterial sponges. The rain drove us into the church, our refuge, our strength, our only dry place. At mass, benediction novenas, we huddled in great damp clumps, dozing through priest drone, while steam rose again from our clothes to mingle with the sweetness of incense, flowers and candles. Limerick gained a reputation for piety, but we knew it was only the rain. Welcome to episode 175 of A Pint with Shawnee B. And the reason for that opening is that we're in Limerick, of all places. The Don is with me. Hello. Hiya. Welcome back. Thanks. Right, we're on our holliers. We're on our alcoholiers. Yurt. Um, yurt. Uh, and we're going to do this. We're going to bring you all with us on our tour around Ireland. Um, and we're going to kind of places that you know, people over in America, who many of our listeners, I think half of our listenership is in America, love the idea of going to Ireland to see the castles and the ancestral homes from which we came back through the famine era. Yeah, including our favourite American, Barack Obama of the Obamas. Barack Obama of the current Tuhill Obamas. Um <laughs> Now, yeah, we so we, we were originally going to be doing this by train and we were hoping to be on a train with the sort of clickety-clack and the kind of uh, hacking of coughs from COVID-infected Irish people drinking cans of Guinness warm on an Irish rail train. But we decided, given the pending doom that is the fourth wave of the Delta variation with virus, whatever you want to call it, which is hitting a lung near you soon in Ireland. We decided we'd knock the train journey on Well, also, because I haven't got my jabby jab yet. No, and the Don being a young lass, strapping lass in her 30s has Oh, not... shite, today I can do it. Yeah. I was, oh, fuck it. I, was, I knew I was supposed to go online. Mm. This is what happened last Friday, and I said it. I said they'll get to my age group, and they'll hover about, and then they'll go, actually, fuck it, now we need to vaccinate the 18-year-olds. Which kind of happened. Yeah. That being said, the reason I said that was going to happen wasn't me being a miserable bitch going, wait, you see, this is going to happen. It was more that I was thinking, to be honest, by the time the time they get to 31-year-olds, I'm not sure I'm that much more vet- medically vulnerable than a 23-year-old, but they probably get should get the 23-year-olds done ahead of somebody like me. And I will be having my second jab of the AstraZeneca fiasco uh, next week. So um, we're kind of putting our lives on the line a little bit, but we decided to drive. So we drove to Limerick. Uh, we had hotels booked, which is also good because a lot of the restaurants are not open for indoor dining. So obviously we can dine in our hotels. And as the Don referenced, we were on our way to Limerick and we stopped off at Moneygall. <laughs> Moneygall is about 45 minutes outside of Limerick. So on the way to Dublin, which is about two and a half hour drive to Limerick, we just broke the journey. We thought we'd get, you know, something dirty because we're on our holidays, like a burger or chicken nuggies or something. You take it from here, Don. 
Well, there's a famous place called Obama Plaza in Moneygull. And it's basically, you come up off the slipway to a big roundabout and there's a, a giant big uh, gas station. Yeah, it's like any and gas station top, of yeah. the main road where you pull in for services and it's all people like slobbing around. There's like a pizza joint and a Burger King and a fucking, you know, supermarket and big and a fine big car park. Tr- tr- truckers stop there. Yeah, but obviously they don't have McDonald's because we're in Munster. They have Supermax. Tasty and tempting food at Supermax. Yeah, but I have to say, himself and Michelle had the place lovely because we went in and there's a giant cardboard cut out of them still inside the tour. It is now 2021, but they had the place lovely, very, very proud. And it was just, it was quite funny because you can kind of see the absolute piss take that's there. Like, Obama has to go, not unlike Biden, oh yeah, definitely, I've got that Irish connection. I mean, you you, you couldn't scoff at it now with the Irish-American vote. And Money Gold has to go, Ah, yeah, yeah, you're definitely Irish because we actually get a lot of tourists and we were quite dependent on, on that market. So let's all go along with this bullshit, wink nudge. So something like Barack Obama traced some form of Irish genealogy. I'm not even sure how close it was back to this town called Moneygall. And he came to visit and press the flesh and drink a pint of Guinness uh, with all the Irish people. Um, I can't do my Obama as well as he used to be able to do it, but he came there and he had a pint of Guinness with Michelle and drank it. Um, now do Michelle. And so, the, so this town has now commemorated that visit by putting an interpretive centre above the gas station Supermax Papa John's forecourt with a welcoming cardboard cutout of 44 and his wife. Yeah. And it's just cheesy as all shit, isn't it? Yeah, it's gas. It's very harsh. I mean, I always used to say, when you know... If you think about it, and, you know, Israel is in the news, and, of course, you're not allowed to say boo to Israel, like lots of other types Careful. of people we probably caught with tackle in the podcast. But um, Israel are being a bunch of wankers, basically. Uh, whether you like it or not, and you want to call that anti-Semitic, you can. They're being a bunch of wankers to the Palestinians, and have always been. And they're living off Stone Age revelation that's clearly horse shit. So, anyway, the Israelis are very importantly supported, usually, by America. Fair. The Irish tend to be supported by Americans as well against the British. Yeah. So in one case, our case, the Americans support the invadee, as in Ireland, Mm. against the invader, England stroke the United Kingdom. But in Israel, they support the invader, Israel, against the invadee. Palestine. Yeah, I mean, a lot of them don't see this, that basically, in general, Irish people, not just now, I mean, a lot of the world has looked in recent months and gone, look, the state of Israel is taking the piss, this is not acceptable. But Ireland has always been very pro-Palestine, because yeah. we see ourselves... We're not hypocr- hypocrites. Well, because we, we're, we're the Palestine in the situation. That hypocrisy goes, like lots of hypocrisy in America, just they ignore it, they put their... Head in the sand. The reason being that if you want to become president of America, you need the Irish vote or a substantial amount of them, and you need the Jewish vote as well. Uh, the Jewish vote also very big, and the Irish vote on funding politics over in America. Just like you need to be Christian. So anyway, we uh, we got a bit of a giggle out of the old money goal. Google it online. It's quite funny. The money goal forecourt of the year interpretive center for the Obama visit when he came. And we had a burger. I also, when I sang the Supermax jingle there, I was being ironic. Supermax are like the McDonald's of Ireland. They're created, I think, out of Galway by some 
Irish entrepreneur who's made millions and every four court that you go to when you drive around Ireland has got a supermax of dirty burgers not mm. worth the, the sauce you also in. find supermax attached to garages uh, anywhere that's near a guard station in Ireland because the guards <laughs> are all muck savages supermax is a real bogger thing it's almost like they'd, they'd feel dirty and treacherous to have a McDonald's and we feel a bit uncomfortable going to Supermax because we've no gadget jersey on. It's a, it's a statement. Yeah, and, you know, a kind of a loved brand in Ireland, although it shouldn't be because your man who runs it uh, was really left wanting last year when he was tabling the idea of having a minimum wage for his employees and how he treated furlough and all that kind of shit. So yeah. uh, we would boycott him. We then left Moneygall and drove the remaining bit of our journey to Limerick. Now, Limerick... Where to start with Limerick? Limerick would be uh, one of the first cities many Americans see because they come into Shannon Air, Shannon Airport, which is the airport on the west coast of Ireland, mainly used for transatlantic travel to the States. And Limerick is the third biggest city in Ireland after Cork and Dublin, Mm. after Dublin and Cork. So let's talk about Limerick. Well, Limerick has always had a bit of bad press, some some very hurtful press, hurtful press. Now, some of you may be familiar with the slogan, Stab City, and what was impressed upon us quite firmly was that (laughs) they're going, vehemently, I'd say, that they are really trying to um, turn that around and really make fab city happen and it it, it reminded me i'm sure we mentioned on the podcast one of our trips to belfast when uh they were absolutely killed telling us how they were riddled with peace and the slogan was belfast got the buzz you couldn't get into a taxi they say oh it's going well do you know how many ships were docked there last year belfast has got the buzz (laughs) so in that same vein Limerick is not Stab City, it's Fab City. So all, all my life growing up, uh, we used to cajole Limerick about being Stab City and they fucking hated it. And you know when you get that little nerve that you poke on somebody and they just react every time, so you keep poking it and you're only kind of joking. At one point in time, however, uh, Limerick was the merger capital of Europe. I think it probably late 80s, early 90s. Oh, I thought it was much more recent than that. Or maybe it was late 90s. I think no, that, like, like way post-millennial. So anyway, so when I was growing up, it was a violent city and people got stabbed a lot and it became known as Stab City. I mean, you don't get that moniker unfairly. No one goes, oh, let's call Ennis where we are recording this podcast. Let's call that fucking Mayhem City or, you know, Car Crash City because and there you go, there's no car crashes here. But if there was one hairpin bend coming into Ennis that every fifth bus ploughed into went over a cliff killing millions, you call it Car Crash City. Uh, to be honest with you now, I think part of the pushing of the Stab City narrative is, yeah, there's been a lot of poverty. It's it's not a city that's up itself. It's grand. Yeah. But you know what it's like? Limerick is like Tala. Dublin, but the rougher end of Dublin. It's not... But so I think we just find it funny that you've got, like, you have these feuding gangs for years and we've all this murder and stuff, but they, then they speak and they're speaking with a monster accent. <laughs> we just find that cute. So anyway, the best way to get up someone from Limerick's nose is to say Stab City in front of them and they get very upset about it. And of course, we're only joking. You're not Stab City anymore. But they were. They took over from uh, Glasgow as the European murder capital back in the day. And it's not. I mean, it doesn't feel... Uh, you don't feel nervous there anymore. And it's got. It's getting its shit together. It's a little bit kind of in need of someone to go and tidy it up a bit. It's a, it's a little bit run down. It's an, it, you, it doesn't, you don't feel a huge amount of money around. You know, it's, it's fine though. It's grand. And again, for overseas listeners, it's got about 150,000 people, roughly, or 200. Uh, it's 93, I think. Okay, somewhere around the 100. Somewhere around the 100,000. So, like, by American standards, it's tiny. Uh, it's a village. But um, it's situated sort of halfway down the west coast of Ireland. 
And it is where the Shannon starts dishing itself out into the Atlantic Ocean. The Shannon being Ireland's <laughs> being Ireland's largest river and the largest river in the British Isles. Um, Sorry, I beg your pardon? Yeah, if you want to take the British Isles as a geographical feature. The, the whose geography? River, not in our books. The largest river is that. Not in our books. Whose geography is that? Britannia. Sorry, are you going to be shouting for England this evening? Yeah. Well, we're... Do we're, I need to up and leave? We're going to have a, a number of little excerpts of this podcast as we go on our travels because we thought that might be interesting for you all. And tonight is the day that England are playing the semi-final against Denmark. And we're all in Ireland, as usual, hoping again... Another example, you annoyed the British. They go, why are you fucking paddies not cheering for us? Do you support all our football teams and all this kind of stuff? And you go, don't. No, we don't. No, you don't. But I mean, we all love watching England bottling tournament after tournament. They have not won a major tournament since 1966. And they have this great song which they brought in in 1996 called Football's Coming Home, where they talk about the fact that they've been 30 years waiting now, nearly 60 years, and you know, Jules Remay is still gleaming and it's coming home and they're going to win and they never fucking do. It's the gift that keeps on. Yeah. However, we were talking about Limerick uh, and we will update you on this probably fantastic England win tonight that we're going to witness, but hopefully Denmark will do the business. But back to Limerick. So Limerick, I opened up with a, a, an excerpt from Frank McCourt's Angela's Ashes. Frank McCourt was a famous Irishman who went to America and wrote the book Angela's Ashes about growing up in wet dreary, dismal Limerick. And for the two days we were there... In the lanes were, of Limerick. It plued the whole time, didn't it? It did, yeah. There was I, I fell into a rabbit hole because I've never been that fascinated by Angela's Ashes because that came out when I was a kid. And it was just one of those things that everybody around you go, jeez, it's not that dreary shite, it's all we need. But Also the, a major motion picture feature. Yes, um, I can't remember. I know the girl's face, but it was yeah. her first thing. But Alan Parker directed Alan Parker directed it. Um, yeah. But he... There's there's a lot of controversy around it. So, I mean, the Stab City thing aside, Angel's Ashes was huge. Mm. And it did depict Limerick as an absolute shithole. Now, Frank McCourt grew up in in the lanes of Limerick with an alcoholic father who then fucked off and a load of the kids in the family. His mother lost three kids and it was just sheer poverty, Mm. which is why they didn't survive. So, I mean, that's what they're depicting. But there's a lot of argument that it was... Made to, it should have been 1940 and it was made to look like it was 1800s and a lot of people didn't like it and didn't cooperate and the church, the local church wouldn't let them film there because they didn't like the way the church was depicted so mm. they had to film in, in Shakur in Dublin for the church scenes. So Alan Parker had it up his nose that Limerick as a city didn't support the making of the movie and he kind of went on record saying that they're all Catholic bigots and they're uneducated and they're backwards. So there's an awful lot there and mm. there's, there's also the famous... What's his tits? Richard Harris had a yeah. massive feud with Frank McCourt. Richard Harris, also from Limerick. Also from the 60s, 50s, 60s, 70s. Yeah. So he had a massive feud. So apparently Frank McCourt ended up going, he was born in uh, New York. And when he was three, the family came home. But he ended up late teens, got back, got back to New York. And his younger brother, Malachi, had a pub there where lots of important people used to come, real celebrities place. And re- what happened is Richard Harris met Frank McCourt there and according to Richard Harris, Frank McCourt punched him in the face and then ran away. So they had they knew each other for years and absolutely fucking despised each other. And it's well worth a Google, because I did, Google Frank McCourt versus Richard Harris. And you'll get an interview 
which goes on for pages and pages of him saying how much he despises Frank McCourt and what a scumbag they are, the entire family are, how disgraceful they are, absolutely. It just I've never seen anything so venomous. It's well worth a Google. We might put a link to that at the end of the podcast. If you have a look, it should be there if we can find it. Um, Terry Wogan is a very famous, uh, he's like the Johnny Carson of uh, England, now dead. He also came from Limerick. And one of the highlights for tours in Limerick is a visit to the Terry Wogan statue. And the Terry Wogan statue is god-awful. It looks nothing like Terry Wogan. And these are these kind of statues are popping up around the world. There's one from uh, Ronaldo out there, if you Google it, which looks nothing like Ronaldo. And it must be terrible for a statue maker. I know. Like, it's, like I, I called it the crap Terry Wogan. So, like, you know, you're the statue maker and everyone who looks at your statue goes, that looks nothing like him. Now, the only thing is they've really owned that in Limerick because, I mean, I put it on Facebook, you know, you throw up the uh, photograph and I... A, hu- a huge number of my pocket friends you know the friends that you don't know well I, I didn't realise how many people I had that I'd chat to that are down in Limerick and they're all you must do the shit st- statue tour yeah like they're really shit yeah there was an embossed uh, statue of John Paul II dating back to 1979 when he visited Limerick uh, and, and qu- the quote of the famous line young people of Ireland I love you which raised a few eyebrows, so that might have been Galway. But the the bass relief of John Paul II makes him look like Bertie Bassett. I mean, he just looked like... <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm wondering how that happened. Like, was it always that shit? Because it is on the waterfront. And, yeah. like, it's, the waterfront is not like the Liffey's Channel. It's huge. And I don't know if it just, it's been battered down or something. It's just, yeah. But the face has gone really flat. It's like looking in the back of a spoon. There's nothing particularly quaint about Limerick. It has an old castle, St. John's Castle, dating back to, I think, the 1100 or something. Ish. Um, and it was a place where the treaty was signed between the Jacobites and the Williamites in the War of Britain, when Britain owned Ireland, all of Ireland. Um, what else? We did do a lovely walking tour, and I think that's, you know, we, we tend to do walking tours when we go somewhere. Even in Ireland, and actually they're nearly more enjoyable in Ireland because there's only so much that goes in. Like even your man that we had, it was great. Like mm. he hasn't had many tours, obviously, this year. But even at that, when there are tours, it would never be Irish people, it would usually be Americans. So like, if you get somebody entertaining, the walking tours are brilliant. Like yeah. they have so much knowledge. Anyway, I mean, um, we're not being sponsored by uh, Fulcha Ireland, the Irish Tourist Board. So, I mean, I could uh, give... Give it a bit of a miss, uh, Limerick. Could you? I mean, I like it. I enjoy that it's not up itself. It's not. It's it's not affluent. It's like a little bit. It's like a small Dublin. It's like the north side of Dublin. It depends. It's like what we like is particularly with COVID. You know, you have to sit out. Mm. So what we kind of love is if it's a pretty kind of village feel. If there's loads of space to eat outside, and particularly if the weather's with you. Yeah. Now, the weather was a bit pissy. We're all right. We got to walk around, but it was a bit pissy. But it's not a city that's kind of designed for pretty little sitting out restaurant type of thing. Yeah. So if you're looking for that, not so quaint. But, it's also, but it has a bit of everything. Yeah, it's, it's nice. Also got, it's also just grubby. I mean, it's, it's, grubby. Like it's got like the fountains are all covered in mould and the, you know, the statuary has got... You know, the, uh, shit Jesus, the, fa- it, the fountain you know, straight outside the uh, Limerick's customs, head. Uh, customs house. Or, I thought it was the city council or... Um, but right outside and it's just I mean it's not that it wouldn't take much it just needs a good clean yeah. and the other famous uh, Limerick resident of course is probably Ireland's most famous oh. sort of independent podcaster who many of you not listening to uh, might enjoy his podcast and Don's a big fan I'd be a fan I like it. it's Blind Boy Boathouse Blind Boy Boathouse now who's Blind Boy? so Blind Boy was is one half of the Rubber Bandits now the Rubber Bandits made it onto TV around about 2009 and they're a little comedy duo from Limerick and they were notable because they used to wear the tracksuits and 
they look like the scumbags in the feuds that would be the stabby ones that you'd avoid but they plastic bags from like a supermarket over their heads fashioned into a mask with eyes cut out with eyes cut out which is it's kind of it's also funny because it was a huge thing I don't know about you but growing up it was always that that thing of don't never put a plastic bag over your head never a child died it was like it was always everybody knows somebody who a child died so don't put plastic bags over your head so there's a bit of divilment with using a plastic bag that they did that but also they just didn't want their faces to be famous they wanted to be able to walk around and since then they they don't really seem to do much or release music but Blind Boy is um he he also got quite famous going on the Late Late Show and stuff like that because he was talking about mental health. And if you think back... Blind Boy comes on like this and goes, how are your heads? How's your mental health? And then he says, I got a hot take for you today. And he goes through something that he found on the internet on, on I don't know, I'm in Wexford, but it, yeah, uh, I, find yeah. him, I find him extremely... I, don't, I, I can't understand the big appeal, but you well, know, maybe I'm, I'm just jealous of him because he has so many listeners. What it is is that, worked. you know, he... he He's a very educated person. Now, part of it is that he comes well, he reads across it off of Wikipedia, yeah. which is fine, yeah. and that's grand. But like, he's he's well rounded. He likes to learn things, and it's kind of unassuming. But he's also he comes across very very working class. Now, some of the criticism is that he's not quite as working class, uh, and he had maybe had more more opportunities. But the way I see it, that's kind of irrelevant. The point is, he looks like what certain types of lads are willing to listen to. And he has been credited, and I would say fairly, with being a fantastic influence on masculinity in Ireland. The messing and joking stuff he does aside, his actual advocacy and his writing and his podcasting started with him giving out shite about the way the government were handling the last recession and the lack of mental health, particularly like living in Limerick, the amount of young men throwing themselves into the Shannon. Mm. So, and he was really t- trying to encourage men to talk and trying to get rid of toxic masculinity, but from not from a point of view of men bad. And he would he would tackle issues about like consent and me too, but it was more about actual positive masculinity. And he talked about how emasculated men of his generation had become because they couldn't buy property. They've been they've been rare to think you have to be able to offer a woman something and they've nothing to offer. And so he he. he talked a lot about the reasons why without leading men to a shitty place and he looked like somebody they were willing to listen to. So he actually has done a huge amount. Oh uh, yeah, there's nothing wrong with Blind Boy. I'm only pulling your plum, Blind Boy. And the other interesting thing about Limerick is it is the sort of epicentre of the Irish travellers community. Now this is a bit of a third rail in Ireland. Uh, the travellers in Ireland are appallingly treated. Even to the point of the government setting aside millions to help develop their halting sites and, and, and provide running water and flushing toilets for them and that money not even being spent by councils, right? And and, and our, our minority group here that are treated appallingly have the lowest uh, literacy levels, have uh, it might be life expectancy that's around 45 years of age or 55 years of age. But I'm just thinking, uh, not maybe not everybody listening to the podcast knows what a traveller is. So when we say traveller... The word gypsy is considered a slur, but it's gypsies because we talk travellers, but in the other parts of the world, they're like, what? They, they wouldn't grasp what we're talking about. Yeah. We're, it, it's gypsies, yeah. but that's not a term that's... An, well, they they're, like. people, they're people who, who historically travel the roads in, no in, in, in horse-drawn caravans uh, and now live usually in uh, what are called halting sites. They have a big affinity with horses and they're they're getting their shit together with uh, advocacy groups speaking up for them, and, and I think only our first politician yeah. elected this time from the travelling community. They represent a very small minority, but they're pulling you. However, the problem I'm having again with all of this shit is you're not allowed to take the piss out of them. You're not allowed to say boo 
when maybe it is funny. And there is an hilarious, um, not, not funny for the people involved, but there's a place in, in Limerick called Rathkeel, which is the kind of epicenter of the traveling community. And there were, and look, Rathkeel, I'm sure it's a lovely place. I'm sure the pe- most of the people are nice, a bit like the football fans. It's only a small minority, but they do have high levels of crime. And there is a hilarious story about a bunch of people from Rathkeel. I think they're travellers. In fact, I think one of them was called the King of the Travellers and he was suing about that. Don't sue me because I haven't got any money for you. And they were going around Europe and the world <laughs> breaking into museums of natural history, okay, and nicking rhino heads and bringing them back in their hand luggage. So they were stealing rhino heads and some of the rhino heads were in storage. Like, you know, weirdly in these natural history museums, like the Dublin one, there's all these animals that are not on public display and are kept in warehouses at control terms. They worked out where they were, would go in, nick the rhino horns, the rhino head, and, you know, taxidermized rhino head, take the horns off, grind them down, and flog them for millions to the, to the, to the Chinese. Now, I would posit that what we need is much more representation in our government of, of mink or travellers, not just in terms of equality, but also because can you imagine any dickhead in the fucking doll being able to get their shit together to that extent? We have a committee after a committee yeah. for everything that we made a bollocks of. But you know what? When they decided, do you know what? There's actually, we're missing a trick here, lads. We could do this. Hang on, I'll make a few phone calls. Let's get our homework done in advance. We don't want to make tits of ourselves. Right. They're actually, they have a load of stuff in a warehouse out by such and such a pay. I mean, can you imagine yeah. that sort of organisational skill? The image for me is like two Irish travellers walking through Stockholm <laughs> Airport with with the two rhino heads and putting them through the machine. And the mm. guy's going, what's that? Just a couple of rhino heads. Where did you get them? We bought them. Uh, anyway, and they were done. So if you Google Bloomberg Business Week and rhinos, and it's about 15 years old. And yeah, not every traveller is stealing rhino heads. But you know what? You have to take a piss out of that. That was very funny. They were caught and I think they were put in prison. Anyway, point is the travellers are terribly victimised here, treated very poorly. And it's weird that we have, if we have a kind of a racism, the way we we, we claim America does, I think Mm. it probably centres a huge amount of it in that area. Well, it's the last acceptable racism in Ireland. Mm. I mean, there are Irish people there. They're not a different, you know, well, they are, color of skin or yeah. whatever. They're Irish people, but they've chosen, and and you know, they're 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 an actual ethnic group. Yeah. In other words, you are a traveler. I mean, you put many many travelers live in in regular homes, but they they but they retain that. Yeah. I mean, they're like Roma gypsies. Well, I think. I mean, in, yeah, in, in but Europe. Roma gypsies would would be yeah, generally be darker, whereas um, yeah. Irish travelers they are a different ethnic group, but they would still be pale and Irish looking. That being said, you can spot a traveller. The very odd time you can't, generally you can. So there's a very specific fashion sense for travellers. Mm. Um, there's like often the girls will have longer hair and they'd be quite extravagant with the clothes and the dark tans and the eyelashes and that. It's just a different style. Accent would be different. And the point I'm making is that it's not just a personal private identity. It, it is something that they carry around everywhere they go when they walk into a shop. They walk in as a traveller. It's it's it, it's not something that most travellers don't pass as settled people mm. when they're going through life. And so in terms of racism, it does actually matter. And like a lot of things that we talk about in this show, I would say this conversation would cause many in the sort of, in that whole debate to be up in arms about what we had just said. So apologies if we've offended travellers. We weren't mean to. We were taking the piss out of a certain number of your community. 
running around the world nicking rhino heads, which we found funny. Okay. Um, what else? Well, so, you've skipped over arguably the most important Limerick man. Yeah. It is our very own Uthron Aaron Miggledy. <laughs> Michael G. Higgins comes from. Uh, he speaks like this. We have a little. We have a. We have a, a prime president of Ireland whose name is Michael G. Higgins, and he lives in Phoenix Park. And he's about eighty-six, and he looks like a little bit of a leprechaun. He's very little. He's very little, and he has two big dogs, and he has a wife, and he he's a, he's he, he celebrates. He's a poet, and he celebrates the arts and the country. And he's, he's a great president and he's a national treasure. And he's lovely. We all love him. We have tea cosies of him. He is the most beloved man in the country. He's also the one that Peter Casey tried to have a pop at on, your, on this very podcast yes, when he was Peter, having a go because yeah. he thought that we'd actually like some scumbag coming over from America going, look, I made money yeah. and slagging off Miggledy. I'm sorry. Well, there's a Venn The worst thing here. you can ever do is slag off Miggledy and think it's going to make you popular coming over from America and pushing the Irish-American thing. Should we fucking hate that? Michael D. Higgins is in his second term as presidency. They last for seven years. But the last election was about 2018, I think. Yes, yeah. it was. And uh, Peter Casey, a former guest on this show, came over and we interviewed him as part of his campaign to run for president. But the Venn diagram here was Peter Casey went after the travellers in an appalling way. Uh, Miggledy would in never a, do that. In that kind of, I haven't erased this bone in my body kind of way where you're protesting a bit too much there, Peter. And he ended up garnering 20% of the vote. It was a low turnout. It was under 50%. So he got about 10% of people who decided to come out basically because he was running down travellers and sort of saying... He, he was saying bigoted things. And it was like, yeah. look, tell it as it is, merchant. It was, it was a deals Trump, a fucking pound shop Trump. So anybody who did vote for him voted purely because he was such a hateful cunt. That was the t- time when we closely came to bring somebody with a sort of a greedy, selfish, appalling approach not no care for the arts whatsoever no care for uh, all, all about making money for rich people and we you know it was a donald trump moment that we we we, do, we dodged and he was he's been since run out of town well it's important because the president of ireland is a largely ceremonial role their actual job which most people didn't seem to fucking understand last time when they're criticizing the miggledy signed this and he didn't sign that their actual job is guardian of the constitution so they should know the law very well and when a law is brought to them from all, all through the government houses, it's their job to not sign it in if there's something in conflict about it. They, they don't really have a huge amount of choice, but they are the, the head of state. So considering it's mostly a ceremonial yeah. role, it fucking matters. And basically, he is entirely the opposite in every which way of Peter Casey. Yeah, and to, and be fair to, Peter, spoke. to be fair to Peter Casey, it was not just Peter Casey. There was a whole bunch of other idiots. Who ah, were yeah, just as but bad. it was pretty much two horse race. Yeah. And it but at was, the end, it did. When Peter went after the travellers, that gave him a bunch of people who were nasty, like, the nastiest element in Irish society, which yeah. there is, and they oh, kind yeah. of keep their head down because they know it'll be, it'll be, they'll yeah. be cuffed behind the ear. It, it was just a dog whistle. The entire race was a dog whistle, and it was it was disgusting. What Miggledy is about is he's an incredibly educated man, a poet. He's hugely into literature, the arts, but he's also all about equality, and he's just sheer kindness and goodness he hugs people he shows everybody dignity and not in a kind of i'm a politician so i'm not going to be mean he genuinely loves everybody and he wants to see people without money do well and he's like he's everything you want your country to be and he's just beloved i would say michael d higgins has hidden his limerickness um, he hasn't no he speaks but he speaks proudly no 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 and there's there are people who are considered to be from limerick the richest boys in ireland Mm. john and patrick collinson 
Collison, who were born in 1988, are worth $11 billion each, having set up a company called Stripe about 10 years ago. They're actually from Tipperary. They're not from Limerick, but they did go to college in Limerick. So. Ah, Limerick's claiming them. Yeah. And um, and so we left Limerick this morning. We stayed in a nice hotel called One Perry Square. We watched uh, Italy, Spain last night. And we drove due north on the Galway Road, passing Shannon Airport and Drumoland Castle, which is the most expensive five-star castle in Ireland, to a lovely town in County Clare called Ennis. 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 And Ennis is very cute and quaint and definitely I would recommend oh, yeah. stop off at Ennis. We just got here this afternoon. Yeah. Ennis is really pretty. Mm. It's really quaint and pretty and it's small but it's actually not bigger than you think. It's just like n- n- yeah. little laneways and roads appear and you go actually there's a fair bit in it. A lot of real cute boutique shops and things yeah. that brightly coloured painted things and mm. perfect place for sitting out and eating and you know, it's almost like it took a little hint from West Cork, where all the rich people go. That quaint, arty, bougie vibe, but it's less up itself. Mm. So everything's a bit cheaper, even though it's it, you walk through it thinking you're going to be robbed blind. It's going to, everything's going to be deeply expensive. It's just not up itself. It's not so fucking affluent, but it's, it's very pretty. It's and inland, and it's it's actually if anyone's flying into from America into Shannon, it, you can you can turn right out of Shannon and go to Ennis rather than go to Limerick, and that's where I would go because it's a good town to see the uh, cliffs of Moher, which are our famous yeah. Western cliffs from Those fucking cliffs. Although they made a bollocks of that by putting in an interpretive centre as well. Yeah, the Don just mentioned West Cork there, and uh, one of the other topics. That we 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 have live here for the past thirty years has been getting a lot of publicity recently because two documentaries have come out at the same time concerning the nineteen ninety six murder of a woman from France by the name of Sophie Toscan Duplantier in a very remote farmhouse that she owned uh, and she was very very brutally beaten to death and they have still not charged anyone officially in Ireland for the murder. However, a, lo- a journalist from England called Ian Bailey, who lived nearby and was kind of first on the scene from a journalistic point of view and is a bit crackers. Um, creepy. And creepy and lots of, and as, as previous with beating his wife, his wife stroke girlfriend, kind of where they're married. Uh, and one of the documentaries is called Murder in the Cottage, which is by famous Irish director Jim Sheridan. And that's, I think, on Sky. Sky, wasn't it, yeah. And then Netflix have just uh, arrived two weeks later with Sophie, which is well worth a look. And that is by, I can't remember the name of the director, but that's um, more of a look from her family perspective. What has happened is that this guy, Ian Bailey, for the last 30 years has been trying to get himself exonerated for this crime. There's no circumstantial evidence in terms of DNA or anything like that attaching him to the scene or to her. But, uh, you know, he was in the neighbourhood and, you know, it, it's just very interesting. I won't spoil it, but um, it's, it's good to watch both of them. We're, we're in Ireland, so it's something that people have talked about for years. It comes up every couple of years. There's a huge podcast a couple mm. of years ago, so the interest spiked again. And then there's also that thing of millennial women have, uh, lots of people, but specifically people in my demographic, have a real love for um, true crime. And the overall thing is that, goes without saying the guards made an absolute bollocks of the entire yeah. me- investigation it was an embarrassment from start to finish and it's their fault mm-hmm. whoever did it is free because nobody's li- lined up there, there's a there's a rumor going around which an awful lot of people feel the locals that 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 it, the person who did it was a guard and it, there was a cover-up 
mm. how true that is or not but that there them has been the whispers for years well, we're we're not we're that that is that is further south from where we are at the moment and it's in cork Kerry area which is beautiful and you know always worth a visit it's it's very remote and um a skull is the nearest ironically skull yeah. is the because she had her her skull caved in by a brick is the name of the city or town there and it's full of kind of uh, a lot of people who are foreign nationals who've run away from with a bit of money who've run away to to, to kind of retire there the posh hippies posh hippies yeah uh, but worth a visit anyway that's um, and we had you know speaking of um, people getting off we had Bill Cosby released from jail I'm sure that went down like a lead balloon and I mean, so, like, he has more freedom than Britney Spears has at this stage. <laughs> I I obviously was going to work in Free Britney and that whole shit show yeah. that emerged last week. Mm. Like, oh. I mean, the problem with the Cosby thing is, you know, you, ha- you have to let him go. And that's just a fuck up by the by the prosecutors. Um, which is no solace for all those women that he uh, wrote hypnol into his bed. Um all right, well, uh, we are here on this uh, trip and uh, we will be coming back for part two. Uh, we're going to see what Ennis is like. We're going to watch England crash out of the Euros and uh, we're then heading up to the lovely Galway where we will also report on the podcast. So we'll catch you after football's coming. Okay, so four days has passed since we last spoke to you. Myself and the Don. Hello, the Don. Hello. We have done our holiday. We're just back from it. And football appears to be coming home. Um, We left you last time with England on the precipice of European final glory. Match against Denmark, which they they won uh, in dubious circumstances. There was uh, two balls on the pitch, which normally means the referee blows the whistle and everything stops, but he played on. Then their right winger, Raheem Sterling, had a mysterious falling over in the penalty area, and there was a penalty given. Some English fan thought it would be very funny to shine a laser light in the Danish goalkeeper, Kasper Schmeichel's eyes, as he prepared to uh, defend the penalty kick from Harry Kane and Schmeichel saved the penalty kick but the rebound fell nicely to Kane who buried it and England in extra time went through to the European Cup final which is on tonight so we're not going to uh, dwell on whether football actually came home or not you'll know by the time you listen to this that it did or it didn't Uh, you can also know that both myself and the Don will be rooting for Italy naturally very much so. And um, I think it'll be a bit of a tarnished trophy for England. 
I put up a piece on Facebook which irritated the shit out of most of my English friends. English people get quite upset about Irish people and Scottish people and everyone basically wanting them to lose all the time. And I've attended probably something like 60 international matches and the only time there has been any problem at that I've been to Italian 90, I've been to World Cups in, in America and in um, which I think got to and in um, Korea and Japan and I've been to England uh, games with England supporting Ireland in Wembley and every single time I go away as a football fan either supporting Ireland or I go to a football match in the UK there is always trouble there is a very sizable minority not a small minority a very sizable minority of English fans who are, as I put it, racist scumbags. That's just not an Irish thing. That's just not a Scottish thing. That's the truth. All of the violence in the 70s and 80s was started by English fans. People go on about the Dutch, the Italians. Yeah, they fight. They fight the English usually and are provoked by them. The rest of the English, most English people, I've got many English friends, are great. And they get all upset. Oh, why do you not like, why aren't you sports? Why don't you feel happy for us? We don't feel happy for you because a huge proportion of your fans are racist scumbags and continue to be so. They boo the knee, they boo national anthems, they hurl abuse at children of the opposing teams, they take their tops off and expose their big fat bellies, looking as Barry Glendening put it, like thumbs in the audience. And nobody likes you. Nobody likes England or their fans, and you tarnish every success and belittle the achievement of your team in 1966. And I would say, if I was a player on the current squad, I would be ashamed to be playing for you. The current squad is probably the nicest bunch of lads England has had in my lifetime. Their manager is a man full of integrity. Their manager took time, the first manager I can remember, took time to try and write a piece to the idiot, numbskull, racist scumbags that run around shouting England all the time about what they were trying to achieve and how they were trying to achieve inclusivity and how they were trying to take a stand against racism and how people needed to support the team like that. And it has gone ignored. So if you're listening to this and England won last night against Italy, well done. You finally did it. But it is a tarnished trophy. Comments from the Don? Nasosnig are at it again. Nasosnig is Gaelic for English. And for the and Welsh friends listening, the Saves are at it again. <laughs> and, you know, yes, there is a, you know, 800 years of bullshit going on between my country and England. And it's not really Scotland. It's a little bit Northern Ireland. And it's not really Wales. But we don't like England winning. We don't like winning them in at rugby, even though the quality of supporter, I think, in rugby is far higher in terms of scumbag status. But there's an arrogance that permeates England, no matter where they appear. There's an arrogance about the teams, about the fact that they deserve to be winning. They're unlucky. They should be winning. And literally not just Ireland, but many countries around the world rub their hands with glee whenever it all goes tragically wrong. And it may have gone tragically wrong last night. No, it did. Boo-hoo. Look at you, the Americans of Europe, basically. Mm. 
Well, I don't think the Americans are a patch on England when it comes to football fans. They're, they don't understand the game very well. Uh, they'd like the goals to be bigger and they'd like maybe there to be two balls on the pitch and you might get seven points for a goal. But Well, I meant more in terms of the kind of we hear you coming before we see you coming because you just thunder on into whatever country you visit as if you're doing them a favour. And the same way, lots of English people understand how you, you see an American tourist and immediately go, oh, for fuck's sake, they're going to be loud, they're going to be obnoxious, they're going to be arrogant, they're not going to be respectful. Frequently, that's the case with English people. And there's a shame here because, you know, I, I, I'm not saying for one minute that there aren't racist scumbags in Ireland. And I'm not saying for one minute that there aren't racist scumbags going out supporting Irish at tournaments. But I haven't had enough tournaments to know that Irish fans, if we see that amongst our own, we try our best to shut it down, even if it comes to giving a guy a puck around the ear. Those people are, are told in no uncertain terms by other Irish fans that if they're going to... I mean, I was at Wembley once when we were getting a horrible run of the game from the referee and in the Irish section of the fans, which is an English chant, by the way, and I, I realise the hypocrisy of Irish fans supporting English football, but you should uh, anyone who's got a problem with that should come over here and try watching... Um, home farm against Bohemians some windy Thursday night and see how you like it but most of our players go over to play in England but we were at this game at Wembley and a section of the Irish fans started going the referee's a wanker the ref and we all shut them down we went shush 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 and like whoever was doing that quickly shut it and you've seen I mean you don't even support football but some of the stuff you saw oh the the tweets and that yeah yeah, I mean, listen, I don't for a minute think that most English people are absolute arseholes, but all English people are aware of this Little Britain thing, which does appear in football a lot. And I kind of made the analogy to you, it's a little bit like when you say, or when you say what you say, what you said on Facebook, an awful lot of English people kind of go, oh yeah, of course there's people like that, but that's not the main thing. And it feels a little bit like if I'm at a birthday party and there's some kid who's just a little prick is hitting younger kids, a, li- a bold little bastard that's making a show himself. Yeah. And when the mother goes, oh, that's just kids being kids. And we all go, well, no, we like we actually sort our kids out. That's mm-hmm. not kids being kids. That's why he is that way, because you have him like that. And I kind of feel like that because if it was Ireland, Irish Twitter would be going off. Yeah. It would be going off and just like at a match, it would be give over. What the fuck is wrong with you? You're making a show of us. That's not how we behave. So like, there's always ourselves, but we're they're managed. And I just don't see any effort. I see it as... Ah, yeah, well, I'm not doing that, but of course they're doing that, but sure, it's no big... Well, it is a big deal, actually. Your Danish fans being called whores, uh, small nine-year-old boys getting uh, bullied by grown men, saying that they were cunts. Uh, You had small girl against Germany crying at the end of the German defeat, and her picture posted all over Twitter... Uh, that she was a, a... She was called a slut, a slag, a cunt, a Nazi, a Vita Sang hon, your, your granddad killed Jews, cry more, bitch, cry more. Like, and there's just, there's hundreds of these tweets. It's not and, just and, one. And, and they've and got loads of likes. These tweets have, of the order of a thousand to two thousand likes. So any of you English who say, oh, it's only a small minority. It is not a small minority. This thing would be all over the newspapers if it happened with the Irish team. We would be banning, uh, finding out who did it, banning them for life from ever attending an Irish international at home or abroad. And we would be taking it very seriously, not because we care about our overseas image, because we care about being decent people. So you're ignoring it. The people who are thinking, the people who are intelligent, the people who have got some sense of decency as English people are choosing to ignore it 
and say, that's just the way it is. Well, you know what? It's not okay to throw bananas at black players. Do we all agree with that now, Everton fans? Do we all agree, Chelsea fans, that we can't have league tables produced in the sheds every weekend that shows what the league table looks like for Chelsea without black players scoring? We have people like Marcus Rashford, Raheem Sterling, Sterling getting booed if they so much as put a foot wrong. And these guys are sick of it. And so is the world. So if you have one tonight and you are an English fan, do something about it. Don't just sit there and spray yourselves in warm lager. Do something about it and make sure something happens for the next time you appear at an, on, on the world stage or even uh, at a weekend that you start shutting down the absolute arseholes countrymen that you have, and they're mainly men, shut them down and put them in their box and stop them from behaving like ignorant people who are hurting others. Anything else? Something more to add to that? Okay, mm. anyway, the match is on in five hours. Good luck, England. May the best team win. I mean, the other thing I was laughing at was if, if England had gone out to Denmark the way Denmark went out to England, we would never hear the end of it. Yeah. Now, uh, so we're not going to talk any more football on this show. We don't tend to talk football on this show, but there is an issue there that we feel strongly about. I think enough is enough and people are getting sick of it. And social media is amplifying it. That's what's happened over the last five, six years. Social media is amplifying the scourge of racist hooliganism that still permeates English football. We finished our holiday today. <laughs> Last time we spoke to you, we were in the lovely town of Ennis in County Clare, also quite beautiful, and we drove straight due north to... Galway. Galway. Tell the folks about Galway, Madame. Galway is the city of the tribes, and it's quite... What does that mean? Um, yeah, you don't know. It's a bunch of hooligans from... <laughs> <laughs> From Gaelic football who go and <laughs> throw shit at small children in the street for wearing the wrong colours. Supermax clad jerseys. <laughs> yeah, tasty and tempting. I think it is Supermax that uh, sponsors the Galway team. Is it Galway? Yeah, I think, yeah. I, think, I think it is too. We've had Supermax. We've given Supermax enough, enough play in this podcast. Yeah, go on. City of the Tribes. Yeah, so it's a city and this tribes. I don't already, know. She's already out of her depth. She's peaked too soon, Captain. I've peaked too soon. Yeah, no, it's a nice little city. It's uh, it's quite studenty. It's a, it's a real young population and it's a little bit alternative and stuff. They've got a lot of music venues and COVID obviously is a thing at the moment. So there's a lot of outdoor dining anyway. Mm. Um, and we had good weather yesterday. But that's very much the Galway vibe is that you'd be sitting out drinking on the, uh, on the street. like It's cobblestones and there's lots of outdoor areas to bars and everyone's really friendly. And it's it's kind of a cool, funky vibe. And it is uh, right on the West Coast. It's about two and a half hours from Dublin to drive straight across the country. It, it's known as a sort of bohemian, sort of slightly hippie, as Don said, studenty. Very, very quaint. Great bars. Some of the best bars in Ireland, I think, are in Galway. Uh, last night, it was just heaving with... It was like Galway, the last two nights, has been like a huge outdoor disco. Yeah. That was going on till. Four in the morning, uh, the Sweet Caroline was playing. So there's obviously a few English fans there. We, we, we sat outside uh, one of the classic um, Galway pubs yesterday afternoon in the sun and I was talking to one of the locals and he was saying, it's getting out of control, there's fighting going on. So it's an absolute mess. So I remember looking at that going, you know what though, it's basically they've, they've got a giant free gaff 
Like when you're a teenager and your parents go away or someone has a free a free house, it's a free gaff. Mm. It's going to be mayhem. All the grown-ups have left the city and they've got a giant free gaff, so there's going to be trouble. So I think with Galway, uh, after a certain point in the evening, people aren't sitting out, outside cafes and stuff. So you're actually at the point where it's literally just a load of 18 to 25-year-olds on the piss in Air Square in, mm. on the field pouring through the streets there's no grown-ups monitoring it so of course it's going to be I I think it will settle down and be fine again Uh, I also have my birthday yeah happy birthday Sean a lovely meal in uh, the Hardy Man in Galway which is one of the nice hotels there and two of my best friends uh, Orla and her husband Dave joined us and we had a grand old yeah that was really nice of them to come up it was and big shout out to my sister who bought some champagne for us and got it into the hotel and my friend Evan O'Reilly who's over in Grand Canaria, he also took time to organise a bottle of champagne waiting for us in the bedroom. So thanks, Evo. Thanks, Evo. Thanks, George. And uh, all of you who wrote to wish me happy birthday. I mean, the, the Facebook outpouring of happy birthdayness is lovely, you know. It's really nice. Yeah, I was looking at that going, Jesus, everyone likes your show. <laughs> 53. <laughs> like, it's, it's like, I don't know if people are just... I was like, is there some sort of a wave going on here that maybe some people think it's his 50th because it's like once once there's one big deal being made, they go, oh, Jesus, we better make a big deal. Because I was like, it's... <laughs> I stupidly posted my rant against the English team referenced earlier uh, on the day <laughs> of my birthday or the day before. Yeah. So the number of English... Uh, Best wishers were down, including uh, Theo Delaney had probably the best one. Who wrote on the a comment on the post that I wrote? Theo, a very big and uh, decent English football fan and Spurs fan, and he wrote, "Er, happy birthday!" Anyway, <laughs> 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 kind of funny. Theo Delaney of the Johnny Friendly Radio Show, and fame. Theo also played you a birthday song, which was requested by Sam Kirby. Was it? I think so. Oh. When? Yesterday? Yes. Now, uh-huh. what we must admit is that, Theo, because we know you listen to every episode. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't. Yeah. We, we, we used to listen to it live. We, we tend to not. We, like, store it up and then we have our particular rituals as to when we like to yeah. listen to it. We do always listen, but it's usually, like, maybe a day late. The Johnny Friendly Radio Show is on EN5 Radio. It's also on uh, Sound... What's it called? Uh, Mixcloud. And it's a sister show called... Uh, the Sunday Roast with Gary Williams. And they're absolutely fantastic yeah. guys. I mean, they play two hours of ad-free music that you normally wouldn't hear before. And the Sunday Roast particularly is beautifully constructed. And uh, we don't I don't know the guy who does it, but it's fantastic. So if you ever just want to put something on that's not the radio or, you know, your iPod, I would urge you to seek out those shows. So, yeah. So Sean, what's it like to be 53? <laughs> Oh, 53, such a, such a uh, landmark year. Such a landmark year. I quite like celebrating dopey years. I like, yeah. can you come to my 53rd or 51st or my 57th? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's not great. I mean, it's like, you know, dad, so my first year without my father, which, yeah. you know, I've had my dad had our bits and pieces going on together, but, you know, it's weird. He's only dead sort of three and a half months and it feels like a lot longer. And then you're kind of feeling your next cab off the rank. So I feel yeah. like I've really aged a lot in the last five years since I came back to Ireland. If I aged you? No, I think it was you. I mean, just... I made a decision to get out of advertising. I still do bits and pieces here and there, but... Uh, and we're, we're doing writing and we have the film that's coming, hopefully coming along, but... You just, I mean, look, you get old. And you know, I, I'm just so suddenly starting to notice that, you know, I'm looking old, I'm feeling old, I'm 
So it's it's not it's it's not great. It's you know fifty three. I, I mean you know the the big link with this podcast has always been thirty summers left, and I've mm. always been banging that drum saying, stand back and look at yourself and see where you are if you're in your mid forties or your late forties and remember that you've got maybe only 30 summers left and the last five will be shit and you only start thinking about them when you're 15. But all the time I've been banging on about that, I realise now I've only got 25 summers left. <laughs> so, so it's like... Uh, um, but I would I would really urge people to take that, to, to really think about it, especially after the pandemic, because there's no doubt that... The, I mean, I, I was lucky in a sense that I was able to travel the world mm. with my job and, and move from place to place and... No one's ever going to give you a uh, a clap on the back for being that person who worked ten hour days or made a billion dollars. You know, we need to just bring perspective, and and there is a big world out there for everyone to change to a better world for themselves. Work. You know, the, the, we talked about the pandemic opening up things like UBI, universal yeah. basic income, and, uh, you know, guaranteed minimum wage, and, you know, respecting the the people who wheel our trolleys in hospitals or fill our shelves in supermarkets or empty our mm. bins or sweep or the streets. Just remind us that, like it or not, we live in a society and how we behave impacts on other people and how they behave impacts on us. And, even if it's, and I know not, I know lots of people were pissed off and weren't able to be selfless and, you know, everybody's in a different position. So it's not that, but even on some level, the fact that we've been reminded that we're all on the same team to an extent. And I know, I know there's yeah. in bickering and infighting, yeah. but I think that's an interesting one. I mean, I don't know how much UBI is going to stick around or anything like that, but we've been reminded of how connected we are, even though I think we probably became arrogant because we don't feel like we're a village. We mm. feel like we're all our own little people in our own little towers with all of our computers. And, mm. But it takes something like a pandemic, you realise, no, we are actually in this together. Like We might be in different boats, but and I, I wonder how that might impact deep down on a psyche that the world that we create is the world that we all have to live in. So you can't just be a Mayfainer all the time. And, you know, if we're thinking of ourselves and not contributing to our community or to making always selfish choices, you go, okay, well, you're going to live in a shithole world then. Mm. And I, I hope that maybe people might be a little bit more community minded. I would hope so. I th- like we we the one thing that the COVID did was it just showed the crassness of capitalism. It mm. showed it was every answer, you know. As my dad used to say, well, "What do you want us all to be sitting there eating one bowl of rice a day?" And clearly not. That's not the case. But but right now, seventy five percent of all vaccines have been injected in twelve countries, or something like that. Yeah. So it's still a massive problem. But it's still, like, I find it breathtaking because... And they're wealthy countries, including this one. The variant that we're worried about at the moment is the Delta variant, which was the India variant. Mm -hmm. And you go, like, do you not get it? As long as you keep not giving a shit about the have-nots, it's going to start impacting on the haves. So even if it takes that, if it takes realising that if you just think about yourself, you have to live in a world with all the problems of the people that you didn't help. Yes. I look at all of my friends who are now in the same age as me, Irish ones or even ones from overseas. We were all brought up to kind of... We we had it drummed into our head 
that we had to protect the queen, as I call it. We had to make money. We had to protect the family. We had to, and it didn't matter about other people. Mm. We had to be selfish. Uh, we had to be greedy. We had to be uh, focused on our own wants and needs and sports cars and expensive yeah. watches and so And all of that is fine and there's no, nothing wrong with people who want to do that. And But what happened is we end up with this absolutely lopsided society and everyone goes, oh, trickle down economics, it's, it's all going to... It doesn't. It does not work. So we do need, and we don't need to go back, we've said this before in the podcast, we don't need to go back to communism, but we do need something best we can describe it as something possibly a bit Scandinavian. We do need to have social democracy. Social democracy, yeah. There is an Irish thing, or there certainly was, where the family is paramount above all. And I mean, Irish as in 50 years ago, as in like Eamon de Valera setting out the stall that's Irish Catholic and the family is everything. Your home is your is your castle and you, you kind of guard that with everything, which I understand. And the state shouldn't interfere with family business. Family is... And there was that thing that family is absolutely everything, which isn't great because what that actually means is fuck everybody else. Your community is behind your front door. And I think that might contribute as well to this fascination with having to live a certain way and always having to own property and all of that. Your, your, your kingdom is behind your front door and that's what you're supposed to protect. What that doesn't make you is a great neighbour. No, and I also don't think that Irish families have a leg to stand on as well about mm. how they treated their children and kicked their women out when they got pregnant and beat their boys and interfered with them and all that kind of stuff. So, like, it's nothing to... The, that whole... That was a church-state-formed yeah. idea. Like, that's dancing at the crosswords in your little dresses and saving yourself for marriage before you have sex. And it was brutal. Yeah, but now, if you're... If you're to harken back a few minutes ago, we were talking about my generation and like and we were badly fucked over by the last recession we were infantilized it was like and at that stage I would have been about 18 you know suddenly a load of people that I went to school with were out of work people had just finished degrees couldn't get a job at McDonald's they couldn't get the dole they, they turned it into the dole was only for people above age 20 something and they kept changing it and you could only get a third of it because you're so we literally were infantilized now we're going to ask of you what we ask of adults we're going to penalize you if you make a mistake the way we penalize adults but when you need to be supported by the state in any way, you belong to your parents, which was just shitty. But what's interesting now is that when you when we talk about the destruction of the of the traditional family and that family is king above all else, the people who are now having kids are in their 30s. And they're the people who have been brought up in the Celtic Tiger being told, you work hard, you go to college, you get a permanent and pensionable job and then everything will just the milestones will go out in front of you you have to compete but everything will fall into place it's all laid out for you and that of course that didn't happen mm. anyone my age realized you're going to have to constantly work in a gig economy regardless of how educated you are regardless of what you do it's going to be a gig economy working which is i think is shitty but when you've got a whole generation of people from affluent backgrounds and less affluent backgrounds educated and not they all kind of go this setup doesn't suit us, so therefore we care about the community. Like people my age who have been able to buy a house really fucking care about the housing crisis because they go, this is not the society we want to live in. And because they've had to work in the gig economy, because they haven't had the home is the castle, family is everything, it's a pity, but I do think it's, it's made... It made them made themselves living at home. Yeah, yeah. But I, I do think it's, it's made... I think there's less of a divide, I notice... Uh, which is nice, of people my age between those who are doing okay and kind of have a steady job and manage to get a mortgage and those who didn't. There's less of the divide and there's more of a sense of community and this is fucked up and we don't like this. Mm. I mean, I picked up something on... I, I was just I was having a smoke on the balcony listening to something on the news 
and there was an English politician going on about the critical nature of uh, they, they were calling them ghost students you know kids who, who've lost a year, a year or 18 months because of COVID and I, I just had this blinding light of you know they, they were saying things like these children need the education they deserve and that they, they need and it just felt a bit creepy and I was listening to it and I was going why what is that about and I just suddenly realised that if they and I'm, you know, there's probably no conspiracy here, but if capitalism doesn't fill the pipeline with intelligent, innovative doers and worker bees and whatever, then Britain loses its competitive advantage. You know, it's it's always couched as the kids need to be at, at school. We had this uh, last year sometime. We had another spin on it, which was. The kids need to be at school so that the workers can yeah. go to work, right? So it's you mean the crashes need to yeah. be open again, exactly. the giant crashes that we call education system. And so it's this like, you know, I'm not a conspiracy theorist and I don't believe there's maybe a cabal of fat cats, you know, just rubbing their hands with glee. But there's just a, a, there's a, there's a kind of a, a formula that we're all blindly following. Mm. And what they mean by that is we can't afford to have two years Literally, we can't afford to have two years of dopes, you know, who, who, in, who in five years or eight years' time will be finishing school. They'll be stupid in college. They won't be as intelligent. And we won't have, you know, because it's something like, you know, in Ireland, there's something like 50,000 kids graduate every year. Yeah. It's quite a lot. So I've got it multiplied by, what, 10. So it's, you know, 500,000 or maybe a million. I don't know how many people graduate. And to have that amount of people, you won't have the leaders, you won't have the entrepreneurs, you won't have the Dysons of the Bransons, who's about to go up in space in a couple of minutes. Uh, hopefully he's returned happily by the time you hear this. And this. But that, that's the reason. Which is actually horseshit when you think about of it, course. because I've, like, I've been the parent with kids at home, and what, the, what you will have is kids that had to, for the first time, once they're kind of eight or nine, kids had to engage online through websites and their teachers are teaching them so it's like being a college student and in college you kind of get here's all the work dumped on you I will we'll vaguely remind you every few weeks I hope you're keeping up with the assignments but on your head it be no like the teacher's not going to drag you by the hand and sit you down and say now and here's your homework for tonight and check you the next day yeah. so they've been left with all this freedom and freedom is quite frightening because it it you have to become self-motivated mm. and some people will not be able to do that. But I would say that the generation of kids that missed out on aspects of their education in the past two <sighs> years will, prob- will probably have more innovative doers because they, at a younger age, had to learn to be self-motivated and to not be dragged along. Yeah. And whatever tiny hole might be left in their overall education, I'm not quite sure that that's going to make a huge difference. I mean, if you think about the most educated people in Britain, for an example, and it's not trying to have a pop, but for instance, they do not learn their own history, not by a long shot. Does that stop them doing well in business? No. No, I mean, what I meant was, you're quite right, I think the whole facade of education yeah, it's is, is, is being exposed. <laughs> that, that's my point. And there's a little teacher behind the curtain going, pay no attention to the Minister for Education yeah. behind the, the curtain. So it's part of this formula. They, they don't give a shite that there's a generation of people that might not have learned their eight times tables very well and might have exactly. missed a, history of the, a chapter of the history books. Or the Pythagorean theorem is very weak amongst people born between 2010 yeah. and 2013. Like, they don't give a our shit algebra, about that. Our, our they worry. scores have tanked. You know, there are parents who are very progressive, who, who, who bemoan the sort of sheep-like education system. And you're quite right, there's probably some of those parents have really rode in and those kids 
who who would be taught to think different and mm. to, to 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 understand that this is not work work, work working. But you, we're all dun, 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 going going through the system, and then suddenly the system creaks to a halt, and they want to switch it back on. They're pressing the button furiously, and it's kind of not switching yeah. back on exactly the same way. That's a hope. Yeah. But I mean, you know, back to the birds. I've always I feel still about twenty five. I wish I was twenty five, especially knowing what I know. Yeah, but I'd be like four, so that'd be crazy. No, I mean, yeah, we'd hopefully. Maybe I could go back and you could stay there anyway. Uh, and you could see what it's like to be the other person in a relationship. <laughs> never. A never in my life. Um, but having said all that, uh, you know, I I kind of, I'm the most worried I've ever been in 53 years. I mean, I was never worried. Worried in, about in, what? About, you know, I was never worried, worried about the future of the earth. Yeah. Big stuff. Existential worry. Like, I just don't think we have the, I mean, it's just going to be so interesting what happens in the next literally eighteen months with with uh, with Biden, and the midterms, and Donald Trump starting to make his stupid face uh, evident again, still trotting out the same crap, and climate and all that stuff, and I, you know, is it just going to, like you know I'm. <laughs> Luckily, I've only got twenty five summers left. Yeah. <laughs> if that, I, I would be, I would be very worried if I was twenty five now. I would be very up, upset, and I would be not enthusiastic about no, the years stretching out ahead of you. No, and I, 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 I don't know many twenty five year olds. I can only hope that there is a cohort. I mean, I, I think about my cohort of friends I was in school with, and they went on to college, and I didn't, and I still stayed friends with them. And I mean, they won't mind me saying they're, they're you know they run around St Mary's Park in the morning with you know every month or two with their uh, wife beater on raising money for charity and they do all the things that you're supposed to do in the process but they never challenge the process. The process needs to be challenged if we're going to get through the next thing. I mean, climate change is another COVID. Yeah. Coming at us much slower. It's a slower COVID, but we've known about it. We've been talking about it. And it's just so funny to watch what we do with COVID yeah. and go, uh, it's like Mother Earth's giving you a hint. Yeah. It's a, it's, a, it's a slower arrival and it's a slower departure, but it's more vicious if it goes unchecked. And bear in mind, we say that having driven around Ireland, we weren't on our fucking bicycles, were we? No. And we weren't eating vegan salads. No. So, I mean, hypocrites are we, but... Yeah, and you know... But I think that's important. I think there, I think there is that thing of being able to say, "Look, I'm not as good as I should be." Now, I really do on climate stuff. I try to recycle. I try to do this, but I, to be honest, I'm not great. I'm not proud of that. But that doesn't mean that because I'm not great, oh, oh well, I'll just shut up and not say anything. I'll at least go, "Look, I'm, I'm nowhere near as good as I should be. I wish I was better." But they're right. The, the, the young kids there that are giving out about this, they're fucking right. In fairness to them, Fifty Shades of Green Dawn. Ireland needs to become the. Weed, weed capital, capital of Europe. Uh, I just read. Do you know there was a big smoke yesterday? I'll explain what that is to our listeners. The big smoke happens often in Phoenix Park, and it's always arranged. Phoenix Park in Dublin. Yeah, so it's always arranged a couple of months in advance uh, through different various so- social media avenues, and it's people just suddenly arrive, and at a particular time, they all pull out a joint and spark up. But it's not just for the crack; they're making a point. You know, it's kind of too late. Yeah, arrest all of us. What are you going to do? And it's making a point. It's about the legalisation of weed. 
But so they do this every couple of months and it's kind of a big thing. So yesterday was the big smoke up in the Phoenix Park. I was not there. I was in Air Square. Anyway, that was a different podcast. Uh, we thought we'd bring you for a little tour around Ireland. Hope you enjoyed it. We will be back next month where the dawn turns 32. <laughs> uh, look after yourselves. We're going to go and get ready for the match. May the best team win. Forza <laughs> We will leave you with this. <laughs>